there's going to be uh, a lot of stuff happening behind me. So we'll, uh, we're actually just going to take a moment. Um, it's funny sometimes in church. I guess, yeah, my name's Daniel. Uh, if I don't know you or I haven't met you yet, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, but we're going to take a moment. We're actually just going to pray for all of our mission students. We have some in Uganda. Uh, we have some in Costa Rica. And we have some in Mexico. Um, and so we're going to pray for students. Guys, we can bring it down to this level here and just in the middle. Thank you. You guys are the best. Jerusalem, you're over here. Judea, you're dead center. Come on. You guys are studs. Um, but yeah, and so we're going to pray for the kids. But let's be honest, we need to pray for the parents and the pastors who were crazy or faithful or whatever you want to call that mental state of mind that's going to agree to go on a plane with a bunch of students to a foreign country. Uh, so why don't we just take a moment and pray for them. Jesus, we thank you uh, for our pastors, Pastors Craig and Shanda and everyone else on the trips. God, we thank you for what you're doing in them and through them. Lord, we thank you that today is the day of salvation and we will rejoice, God, as they uh, let their good works be seen before people in different continents and different countries. God, that you would get all of the glory. We pray you keep them safe. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And hey, well, I'm super excited uh, to preach this morning. It's always such an honor uh, to get to speak on Sunday mornings. Uh, I do, if you don't kind of know a little bit about me, uh, me and my wife Katie, we get to oversee the youth and the kids, or no, just kidding, uh, the youth and young adults. Pastor Carly is much, much better at kids. Uh, she's taking care of them. And so if I'm a little bit loud or exuberant, I'm used to trying to keep the attention of a grade six student. Uh, so we'll just roll with that. But we've been in a series called Big Church. And Pastor Craig started, we've been about three weeks into this. This is our fourth week into it. And we, the whole series is this idea of let's take a moment and let's look at the birthplace of the church. Because by all means of natu natural understandings or statistics, there's no reasonable explanation why the church should still be in existence. Like at the very birth of it was this man, this leader that was murdered, uh, and he took a bunch of nobodies who were cowards and said, hey, I'm going to entrust you to make this all work. Peace. And then he leaves, and we see that some stuff starts to happen, but then those people start getting murdered, and those people started getting attacked. But we see that the church was not just this moment, but it's become the most powerful movement that has ever been seen on the face of the planet. Now, you look at different studies, if you were to remove the church from society, most societies and cultural structures would crumble. When you see the amount of aid overseas and in town, the billions of dollars just in the lower mainland that the, that the church provides that the government would have to if the church wasn't who it was. The church is a powerful thing. The church is ever increasing and advancing. You may have come from a church where things were shrinking, but you need to understand there's only very few countries in the world where the church isn't rapidly outgrowing the birth rate, that God is doing something powerful through his church. And so we're going to take a look at it, because sometimes, if I'm honest, that may not be the experience that I see all the time, and we're going to take a look at that. How did this moment become this movement that we, together now, thousands of years later, gather celebrating the same things as they did? What caused people to be willing to give up everything, to risk their lives for something that gave them zero material benefit? Like we understand, people are willing to give up their time and their families and their health for a job or a career or finances. 
What would it look like to give up everything you had and sacrifice everything you have for nothing for yourself? What would cause people to live in such a way? You know, what caused those people to do that? The fact that we gather here today as the church is a pretty miraculous thing. And we've been looking at some of the fundamental pieces of what that looked at. We looked at the first week, the idea that Jesus comes and big prayer was this moment that people of the church, sorry for those who can't see me, we'll get some eye contact in a second. But there's these moments of big prayer that Jesus came and said, listen, I'm going to send you to do something, but you got to wait. And they were people of big prayers, not just God, keep us safe and Lord, just bless me. And my, no, no, they had incredible prayer. And that prayer led to unbelievable boldness that led them in the face of opposition, in the face uh, of death, in the face of beatings and floggings, in the face of not being popular with culture, that prayer led to this unbelievable boldness in the church. And we're going to take a look at what was the next movement or the next pillar that was in the early church. See, this morning we're going to take a look at that next pillar that supported the church to be what it was, and what I believe needs to be a part of our church and our hearts as the church to be a part of the pillars so that we can be what God has called us to be. And if you're new to church, when I mention this, I just want to let you know church is not this building. As you can see, it's also a gymnasium. The church is the people that God does. The church is, is the people who come and said, listen, I don't have this figured out, but I figure out that Jesus did, and I'm just going to give my life to follow him and figure that out. So today we're going to look at this next pillar, but before we do, why don't we just pray? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this place. God, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, for those who would claim to be followers of you this morning, we give you the right and the permission to change things in us. God, I pray that you would convict us to where maybe our lives need to change a bit. And God, I would pray for those who are on a journey figuring out who you are this morning. God, I, I pray Romans 5, that you would just reveal yourself to them. That God, the questions that are in their soul and in their heart, that you would answer. And God, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would be empowered to be this thing called the church that you so love and desire. We love you, Jesus, uh, in your name, amen. If you're taking notes today, I encourage you to take notes. Statistics would say that you remember 75% more of what you write down than if you just kind of listen to it. Men understand this. If we've ever been given a shopping list uh, and you don't write it down, you're going to come back with bacon when you were meant to go get laundry detergent. And you're like, well, at least we have bacon, right? And so we're going to look at, we're going to run through a couple scriptures just to give you this idea of big audience. We're talking about big prayer, we've been talking about big boldness, and this week we're going to talk about big audience. At the center of God's heart has always been a very big audience. Now I understand the moment, even some of you, the moment when you see big church, there's some negative emotions, maybe, or some skepticism that starts to happen. Something that inside you, you're not really sure. And then when we talk about a big audience, you think of the numbers, you think of, oh, we just want to make certain name greater, what it looks like. And I understand we all have certain preconceived notions that we come to this place with. And I want to ask you for the next 30, 40 minutes just to maybe lay those to the side and see what God would do. You see, as we begin to talk about our mandate as a church to reach a big audience, I think there's one or two camps that we'll find ourselves in. And so I want you to listen in to maybe where you are. You might be surprised as to what camp you find yourself in. 
and you might be shocked, or it might make, oh, that makes sense, but I think we land in one of two areas. So as we go through this talk today, I want you just to be listening, maybe leaning in, saying, God, where am I, and are you okay with that? That's all I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask that you agree with me. That's not my job. I'm, my job is just to communicate what Holy Spirit said to me in, in studying the Word, but would you just say, Holy Spirit, would you... Is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything that you might want to change or shift in in my heart? You see, in Genesis chapter 1, it all starts out. I think it's important to go back to the beginning to understand what happens. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. At the very beginning, God had a very big audience in mind. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground and hunt as much as you can. And so it moves on. For those of you who don't hunt, it's biblical. Ah, in Genesis chapter 12, it says this, verses 1, moving on to Abraham. that says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. We see that this was God, so we don't have time to go into Noah and to Moses and to, like, all the Old Testament, God always had a big audience in mind. Flipping forward to the New Testament, we see that God had a problem. The problem was that sin came and separated us from relationship with him. So up in heaven, he sits there for a heart for it. In John 3, 16, you're familiar with it, but he said, for God so loved the, uh, the Christians, or for God so loved the ones who tithe. No, it says, for God so loved the world, that's a pretty big audience, that he gave his one and only son that whoever, again, we don't have time, but it's one of the most beautiful words in this passage that says it's for you and it says it's for me. Wherever you come from this morning, you might think, Daniel, you don't understand my past. Doesn't matter. You're a whoever. I'm a whoever. We're a whoever. This love that Jesus has is for whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We see that God had a big vision. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. And this is at the beginning of his ministry. Go back to the end. Jesus comes, does a bunch of miracles, is crucified, raised back from the dead. YOLO, just kidding. And in Matthew 28, 19, 28, 19, he gathers the boys, the 11 that are left, and says this. Therefore, before I'm about to go, I want to let you know what's been, what has been on my heart and what needs to be on your heart if you want to follow me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we move on to the next phase in Acts where Dr. Luke is writing us a story of how this birthplace of the church happened, and we see this, and the, and the background of this is Jesus came, again, it's another uh, different storytelling of right before he left, and they're like, great, you died, you came back, now it's time to take back Jerusalem. Because they thought that the call of Jesus and the kingdom and the Messiah was to throw off the reign of the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom. They're like, hey, listen, I know it was just for us, but now it's for Jerusalem. That's a big audience, and so let's set up camp. And then Jesus says, well, hold on. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So they first wait and pray And you will be my witnesses. This word means to stand between two things and to testify of one about the other. 
We see back in the Old Testament, it was, uh, you would set up, there was a sacrifice between Jacob and Laban, and there was this altar built, and it said, listen, I paid the price for this, and this altar is a testimony or a witness between you and me. When you come back, it will remind you of the price that I paid for freedom. And we stand to remind the world, to stand between witnesses between heaven and earth, and remind them of the price that was paid for the love that Jesus has for them. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to stand. Not my message, different one. Uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, to the end of the earth. For those who don't understand the geography, Jerusalem was a city, Judea was the greater region around that, and Samaria was kind of the continent area, what was going around there, and there. so it, it speaks of an, an immediate small place, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes out. You see, from Genesis to Revelations, big audiences have always been on the heart of God. And from Genesis to Revelations, those who would follow him also had big audiences on their heart. We see that this wasn't just God's heart. It was actually also his plan for his church. That on the heart of the church would be this never-ending, never-subsided, never-quite-satisfied longing and burden for a big audience. But yet, sometimes we can get so comfortable with our current audience. Or the same, and not a bit that maybe it used to be a lot smaller, and God's done things, and He's growing our church. And some of you are here, and you gave your life to Jesus just in this last year, and we're so thankful for what God is doing. But let us not just sit in the in the answered prayers of yesterday, but let us still allow God to stir our hearts for bigger audiences. You see, the thing is, I know as soon as I start talking about big church or big audiences or reaching cities. We're going to reach the lower mainland, and God's going to do it. It's incredible. And maybe this is just me, but there's a bit of cynicism that begins to raise up in my heart. Like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, the whole city. Okay, tough guy, settle down. Okay, young buck. Like, I've lived a bit more life than you. Like, let's just, you know, let's just focus on on what's going on. So I know the temptation would be to get comfortable with what God is doing or what God has done and to become content with that. And I think there's things in godly contentment, but I think there's also this restlessness in God for all of the world. And while there still is all out there that, and back there, <laughs> that there needs to be something in our heart that longs for more. You see, I know these can be barriers between us and stepping out to reach. I know there's barriers between this, because this was also true of the, the early church. And we're just going to take a look at that. That I, As I was reading this, so sometimes, honest, I'm honest, I feel guilty. I, what would it look like if there was a bigger audience? And how do we, how do we administrate that? And what do we do? And I just want to be, God, just, just move here and, then, and, and figure this out. But I know this is true of the early church. Because as we read, this is what happens. 
We see that Jesus comes in the early church and he takes the 11 and he says, boys, listen, you're gonna wait, you're gonna pray, and you're gonna get boldness. And so they're figuring this out and they're waiting there and then 12 or 11 turned to 120 in the upper room and so they're allowing some people in. That's what it is. They're sitting and the Holy Spirit comes and does something in their lives but it was never meant just for them because the sound of what God, Holy Spirit, was doing in their hearts resonated and resounded to the people around them. And Peter stands up, preaches a message, say, listen, Jesus came, the Son of God, you killed him. He went in the grave, he came back up, and he came back for people, and he's here for you, so you got to repent, turn to him, he'll do things in your life, and we see in this moment that was this church from like 120 went to 3,000 people, and it's like, wow, this is incredible, God, you're doing this, and then Pete and John are on their way to church, they see a man 40 years at a gate called Beautiful, call him up, heal him, people start going crazy because they've all seen him, another 2,000 people are added to the church, and, and it's just starting to grow, and then the religious people of the day that like power were getting a little bit upset, and they're like, no, you can't do this, and don't do that anymore, and they beat him a little bit, and they threaten him, and then they go back, and they pray. God gives them boldness. They don't pray for it to stop. They just pray for boldness. And they continue to go out. And it came to the point where they're sitting there in Jerusalem and the religious leaders, which would have been like the supreme court of the religious law of the day, they would say that these people, this sect, the followers of this way, followers of Jesus, have turned this city upside down. And think about it. God's starting to do some stuff. This is awesome. God left. Holy Spirit came. The city's starting to be changed. Culture's starting to shift. Like, we would be celebrating this, and we would be, like, shouting out revival if this was the case in Surrey. This was a great moment. Side note on this as well. See, is what I described there, if that were to happen in us, we'd be like, Jesus is coming. Let's go home. It's interesting in Acts, verses 1 to 8 that Jerusalem was the smallest common denominator that Jesus gave the church to reach, a city? How is it that his church today has to struggle to have vision for a city when that was the starting point that Jesus gave the church? It was always a big audience on the heart of God. And what was happening in the early church was a great moment, but Jesus desired a movement. So he begins to bring a little bit of opposition. He says, listen, you're great in Jerusalem, but it's time to step through because God didn't just have it for Jerusalem. So we see in Acts 7 that a little man named Stephan, a young guy full of the Holy Spirit, stands up. And while there was threats before and prophet, and it just proclaims what God is doing in the gospel, and then when there was used to be just threats, they murder him. Instead, they, they, he was the first martyr of the new church, and, and people look around, and they look for Rome, and nothing happens. They go, hey, we don't have to threaten anymore. We can actually kill them, and there's no repercussions. And so we see that what was a moment that the church might have been tempted to stay in, God said it was never meant to be a moment. It was always meant to be a movement. And so with the life given of Stephan, the gospel spreads. And with persecution grew the church. And so they start to spread out and they start to go. Because we know this because we see that Saul went to Damascus. Because the gospel had spread. You know what's interesting, and, and there's a lot of debate going on, that all the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But everyone else went. There's a lot of debate, but I think sometimes it can be so easy to get comfortable with what God started doing that we're unwilling to step into new territory or bigger audiences that God has called us to into the unknown. 
And we see that they step forward from Jerusalem into Judea. This thing's starting to spread, and it's great. And it's spreading first because Saul's persecuted and other things. But then Saul, on his way to go persecute it, gets knocked off his horse, has an incredible encounter with God, and his hell-bent persecution of the church is stopped. To which the church would have been like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, God, you, you answered our prayers, you heard it, you stopped the persecution, we're great, we don't have to run anymore. We don't have to do this, but yet God didn't just want a moment, he desired a movement. And so what does he do? He speaks to a man named Ananias, which we talked about around this time last year. And this idea that he wanted to do more. And so nonetheless, he begins to walk out in obedience. Jesus commanded Matthew 20, 19 and Acts 1, 8 to go into all of the world. And we see this persecution push them here. And then Saul gets knocked off his horse. And we say, great, okay, it's Jerusalem, Judea, we're awesome. But then God says, no, 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 this was a great moment. But it was meant to be a movement. And Judea's been great, but... I desire people in the uttermost parts of the earth. It's got to go to Samaria. And so we see that Ananias, just being obedient to what God had called him to do, had no idea what was on the other side of this door called Saul, but was obedient to what God told him to do. And Saul turns to Paul. And we sit here today, some would say because of the result of a man named Paul's preaching, but I would point it back to the obedience of a man named Ananias that was willing to hear from God and have a different audience than maybe he was comfortable with and brought the message of Jesus to Saul, to which became Paul. You know, it's interesting that the growth we're called to sometimes only happens to the pers- through the persecution. We're praying that God would stop. Can I let you know that boss that seems to be your problem is not your problem? That, that child that just won't get in line, you don't know what to do, been praying for God just to change. That neighbor that you just can't stand. The persecution of the government right now and different things. Can I tell you that persecution has never stopped the church. Persecution's only ever pushed it forward into the big audience it's called to reach. Maybe the persecution you've been praying to ask God to stop is the vehicle to which God wants to bring your answer and your prayer. We see this with Ananias and, and Paul. And it's interesting, so we read it, and it looks like Paul comes, gets saved, boom, has a little meeting, and he goes out and changes the world. And in between a couple chapters, what we don't see is 18 years of preparation. Paul didn't just rip off on his own vision of what it looked like. No, he had to allow God's heart to become his heart. He had to learn to love this church in which he used to persecute. Saul studied and learned close to the apostles for 18 years. And only then he brings the gospel forward. So you never know what God is doing in your moments of obscurity. When no one sees you. I'm, I'm, called to reach the, I'm called to reach the nation. God, the big cities, big audience, I get it. I want to do that. Hey, would you like to serve on ushers? No, I'm called to big things. Saul, Paul, sat in obscurity, unknown, unseen for 18 years. That job you're complaining about might be God's preparation for what he's called you to. That struggle in your marriage might become the platform in which God wants to bring healing to other people's marriages. So don't give up. Invite Holy Spirit into it. Get counsel, but keep 
fighting. That class you're in that seems like a waste of time, and you're like, this is ridiculous, whether you're in high school or university, and you're complaining about it, the teacher just doesn't get me, they're out to get me, and, and people keep questioning my faith. Maybe God has put you in obscurity and a moment where he is putting in you what he needs to get out of you for a greater audience beyond you. We need to be able to trust, say, God, I know what's on your heart. It's a big audience, so I'm going to be faithful in a little. But then when Paul does step up and start bringing things out, he essentially goes, hey, listen, apostles, you guys take Jerusalem. I'll take the rest of the world. And so Paul steps out and says, listen, this thing needs to reach Samaria. And it keeps going to the uttermost parts. And Paul goes on three missionary ventures that the, the known world at the time, into Europe and into Rome, and begins to just proclaim this incredible, expanding gospel of Jesus. We see that when it comes to the church, there's always a temptation to settle. But God is too faithful, and his love is too strong to allow us to just receive this grace without extending this grace to those he also died for around us. Can I tell you, God is doing things. His heart back then was for a great audience, and his heart still today is for a great audience. If a big audience is what the early church was called to, then today in 2018, a big audience is what Horizon Church is called to. Can I tell you, bigger than this. It is what you are called to as a follower of Jesus, not to be comfortable. God's more concerned with your calling than he is your comfort, and sometimes he'll allow you to get uncomfortable so he can put in you what the people around you desperately need to see. Yeah, it's great, and I know, like, oh, that's awesome. We're called to a big audience until someone takes your seat. We're called to a big audience until that guy comes in smelling like marijuana and, whoa, what's going on? We're called to a big audience until we say, listen, we need to go to multiple services. And our first thought is, but then I won't get to see everyone. Maybe you need to plug into a group where you can be known and, be, and know people and what it looks like. Oh, we're called to multiple services. Ah, you know, the idea we have my brother and sister-in-law up here talking about a church plant. There's some people in this church that need to go and plant with them. But if our thought is, what if I don't know people? What if I'm not comfortable? What does that look like? I'm sorry, but God, on God's heart is a bigger audience than we are currently entertaining. And hear me when I say, I don't mean just entertain, I mean spreading the gospel to Africa, Costa Rica. Well, why do we send missions out? Because there's a bigger audience that's on the heart of God. And on the followers of Jesus' heart, there must also be a bigger audience audience. See, it's clear to see that Jesus always had his sight set on a big audience. But as I was preparing for this, this question kind of arose. God just showed me this picture of all of these people coming into the stadium-like thing, this huge audience, and kind of walking up on the stage and then being like, okay, God, like, you brought them, now what? Like, if you had to wonder, like, if God wants a big audience, what does he want them to see and hear? Like if he desires a mass amount of people to hear and to see, to gather, to witness things, what is that to which he wants them to witness? Which draws us to Luke 23, verses 34. The story here is Jesus is being crucified. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with their criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said in this moment of probably 
some of his most unbearable pain, suffering, his body is about to give out, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's flogged, couldn't even carry his cross anymore. Those he gave his life for have abandoned him except for a few. You couldn't describe more of a personal pain that you've been with. He's been only obedient, wrongly accused, beaten, and he's about to die. What was on his heart? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And in this moment, I believe Jesus saw every moment. Not just those that nailed his hands to the tree or whipped him, but he saw me. Father, forgive him. He's a mess. He's going to need you. And in the midst of his pain, where he should have been consumed with his own thoughts, the heart of Jesus is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do and what they're doing. As they divided his clothes and casting lots. What does Jesus desire to tell the crowd that he came to them? The same thing that Paul gave his life to proclaim. That Jesus came as the son of God and he lived and he was crucified. Not because of his sins but because of mine. The them that he looked out on that crowd for. The you, the me, our grandparents, our children to come. He was crucified to pay for the debt that he did not owe but we owed, and that he actually died. They buried him, which meant there was a finality to his death, which means there was a finality to sin's power over your life if you are a follower of Jesus. And not only did he come and die and was buried, but three days later he rose back to new life, which affords you and which affords me a possibility for a brand new life, empowered by the Spirit of God. We're not held to our past. We're not held to our mistakes. We're not held to our family lineage. We're not held to racial boundaries. We're not held to finances. We're not held to the things that would hold us down because death in its finality could not hold Jesus. And he rose again. What did he do? He went to be seen by those whom, which he died for. You ever think about this? Like he didn't just raise from the dead and that he spent time with people. And I think in this lesson, Jesus shows us that there's always got to be on our heart a bigger audience. It wasn't just the 11, a couple more. He, walked, he was seen by about 500 people. He went to the people to which he died for, which means you and I, when we receive new life, are meant to go tell the story that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose from the grave, and he's coming for you. And his love is for you. And we're meant to go and reach the people and find the people to which God has called us to. This was Paul's message. Yes, there was a lot of other things, but central to his message was this message. Constantly preaching it. 
I, I, yeah, but, but I, I did, Dan, you know, I just came to Jesus. I, you know, I can't, I don't even know what I'm doing. Just stay a chapter ahead. God's faithful. The church and the early church, they didn't have the whole Bible. They didn't have all of the, the, the oh, this is what it looks like. They just said, Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us? And thankfully, yes, God brought structure and oversight and wisdom to which we need to learn from. But that was never a prerequisite for the big audience. The message that Jesus desires all to hear, the reason he put Adam there, the reason he put a call in Abram, the reason he put a mandate on Noah, the reason God looked out, saw the world, and sent his son Jesus, the reason in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go make disciples in all nations, and the reason in Acts 1, 8, he said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Sumeria, to the othermost parts of the earth was this message, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he's coming for you. His love is for you. Whoever believes in him, that's the message. And I can't help but think sometimes we sit in spiritual inactivity because we complicate those four things. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he went to people. Yeah, but I, I, you don't understand. My friends in eighth, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he came to people. Yeah, but I was abused, and Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he went to people. Yeah, but I'm not sure the whole creation account was it seven days or like Jesus came, Jesus died, he rose again, and he went to people. You don't understand, Surrey, there's different Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he went to people. This is our message for a big audience, church. If you bow your head and close your eyes, I'm not going to invite the worship team to come up. I just want to take a moment. Maybe you're here today. And this message I've been talking about is a message that maybe you haven't heard before. Or maybe you have, but you've been on a journey wrestling with some things. Do I really believe this whole thing. What, what about this? And there's some questions. Can I tell you the only thing you need to know is that God loved you so much that he left heaven and he came down to earth to show us what it was like to live a life as a human led by God. And he died for your sins. The things that separated you from God, he took upon himself. And his death made the curse of sin final. And he ended it. And so he paid for your past, but then he rose from the grave saying that no matter what you've been in, God's got a plan and a purpose of new life and new possibilities and new love to which you don't even understand yet. And he didn't just stand off somewhere and say, listen, I took care of it. Now you make your way back to me. No, Jesus, once he rose, he made his way to people. And this morning, in this moment, by his spirit, he's making his way to you. That whoever would believe in him, believe that he came, believe that he died, believe that he rose again, and believe that he's got a plan for your life. The Bible says he comes in and removes our sin. And his spirit comes and lives in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd say, Daniel, I haven't received that yet, but today I'd like to start that relationship. I'd like to receive that. No one's going to do anything. I was, I'm just going to ask you to pop your hand up, and I just want to pray for you. 
We're just going to take a moment. No one else is looking around in this moment. Say, Daniel, I think I need to give my life to Jesus. My right and your left. Down the center. Daniel, I don't got it all figured out, but it's one thing I know that Jesus loves me, and I, I need to do something about that. To my left and your right. Just take a moment. You know, family, we do this every single Sunday. We give an opportunity, one, because we know there's just always hurt and broken people that need Jesus. We never want to lose sight of that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when we do this, can you be listening? Because there's going to be moments in your car on a Wednesday where you're going to get an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. There's going to be moments in your workplace where you're going to get an opportunity and you're going to be asked, what's the joy? Why, why do you have this joy? Why do you have this strength? So because Jesus came. Because he died for me. He rose back from the dead. And he came to me. And if you believe in him, he'd come to you too. Matter of fact, I believe he's already coming to you because he sent me here for this purpose. Because I understand this job, it's just a platform for a bigger audience. What God did in my life, it's too good to keep to myself. So this, this family that I have and my neighbors, it's just a platform for a big, bigger audience. This school that I'm in, walking around hundreds if not thousands of students that don't know Jesus, this isn't just where I go to school. This is my platform for a bigger audience. See, Jesus, he gathers a big audience for the purpose of sharing the gospel. But his method is this. You see in Luke 23, later down, verse 43. It says, Jesus answered him, being one of the criminals, dying, crucified with him on his right. It says, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And in this moment, we not only see the heart of Jesus that says, Father, forgive them, we see his method. He sees the many, but he reaches the one. God, how are we ever going to reach our city? We're called to have a heart for the big audience, but be faithful with the one that's right in front of us. I love that in the midst of Jesus' pain, in the midst of the most important part of his coming, he was not too preoccupied, he was not too busy, he was not too broken to notice the broken person right next to him. Some of you have no problem believing for a big audience. You pray for the nations. You say, let's take the city, let's do this. You got no problem going on missions. You just got a problem going next door and talking to your neighbor. Can I just point out that Jesus says this in order for a reason? Take care of home first, Jerusalem. What's going to give you authority in Judea is being faithful with what God did in Jerusalem. And as we're faithful with Surrey, God's going to give us influence to plant churches in Calgary and in Toronto, in downtown Vancouver, and up north in the villages that can't. We're going to go. But what happens here 
gives us authority here. And then when we allow God to stir in our hearts what he's doing, he says, that's great. You took care of Jerusalem. We got Judea, but Africa, but, 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 but Somali, but, but different areas. But, but hey, we got to go to the Philippines, and we got to go, hey, we're going to go to Mexico, and hey, we're going to go to Costa Rica, and hey, we're going to go to different areas. Big audiences have always been on the heart of God, and they always need to be on the heart of the followers of Jesus. His heart is for the big audience. The heart of Jesus has always been a big audience, and his method for reaching them has always been big people. Family, what makes a big church? People who are just willing to be big people. Not in their own strength, no. Saying, God, I'll trust you with what you've given me. I'm going to be faithful with the little. And I'm going to, I'm going to trust you for the many. Daniel, I, well, what do you mean? I, don't, I get that. Because some of us, we're super faithful with the one, but we just don't want to think about the many because it's overwhelming. You see, in Genesis 1, we see that God saw the world. Pretty big audience. So what does he do? He creates Adam and Eve. Some big people. See, in Genesis 12, that God wanted to bless the nations. So what does he do? He calls Abraham and Sarah couple of big people. See, in John 3.16, that God's heart was for the world. So what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus. We see in Acts 2, God's heart was for Jerusalem. So what does he do? He gives a platform to Peter to preach the gospel. And then he wanted to continue to Judea. So what does he do? He gives a platform to Stephen, who is willing to be a big person, who is willing to submit his will for God's will to reach a bigger audience. We see that in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, one person that God sent because he desired to reach Samaria. And we see that God's heart was for Rome and the known world. So he raises up Ananias, who's willing to speak to a Saul, who's willing to be a voice piece to a bigger audience. Some of you might be sitting here saying, like, Daniel, that's great, but I'm not that type of personality. Notice that some reached a big audience and some just reached one other person who could reach a big audience. We never hear of Ananias again. Paul, actually, in the retelling of the story that he owed his whole life to this man's obedience, just leaves him out. He's like, no one led me to Jesus. It was only me. Forgets him completely. Maybe you're a big audience, so you never know what's on the other side of your neighbor. What audience is waiting on your obedience to go to the one? What audience is waiting for you to just be obedient with the one that's in front of you? Have a heart for the big audience, but have focus on what's in front of you and the one, your plus one that's in front of you. Coming up in Easter, April 1st, is a fantastic opportunity for you to have a heart for our city, but have a focus on the one that God's entrusted you with. This this last couple weeks, we've been celebrating Billy Graham. Over 2,500 million People, did I say that right? 2,500, yeah, 2,500 million people. They would estimate the big audience that God had for him. As he begin to study his life, it goes back to his father being willing to lend out some of his farm. A couple businessmen got together, paid for. What did they do? They just began to pray. 
Just begin to ask God to raise up someone who would speak to a big audience. We see that they then brought this evangelist speaker and he had a certain amount of audience and Billy Graham and his friend, they actually didn't want to be seen because they felt super convicted. So they, they joined the choir so they could sit behind him and not be looked at and preached at. But then something happened in Billy's heart and God began to stir and there was just this one moment they were faithful with what was right in front of them. And the stories would be told and told and told and in heaven would be told and told of the lives, the big audience that was changed because of some big person that was willing to be faithful with the audience that God had given them believing for a bigger audience. So where do you sit? At the beginning of this message, we ask where, what camp do you sit at? Is it really easy for you to pray for the nations, but really hard for you to talk to your brother? Your father-in-law, that neighbor, that co-worker? No, not him, anyone else. Yeah, tell that to Ananias. Not he, God, he would never have that conversation. Read through Acts. Look at Ananias' story. The man that was there to murder him, God sent him to him. So there goes our excuse. Is it easy for you to pray for a big audience, but hard for you to be faithful with a little one? Or when we start to talk about big churches, their anxieties, maybe past hurts and pains, that begin to rise up in you where you were let down or leadership let you down or, or you've seen things or, or your comfort level becomes your God rather than the big audience that God's called you to and, 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 and you're just not sure if you're into this thing. Maybe you need to allow God to soften your heart and remind you that a big audience isn't about Horizon Church or a name because a big audience is just full of individuals that Jesus died for and he loved. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God, so it must matter to us. Where do you sit today? What do you need God to help stir in your heart? Who's God calling you to read? See, big audiences are reached through big people. The reality is God's called Horizon Church to a very big audience. Our city has just over 525,000 people living in it. It's estimated to outgrow Vancouver in a certain amount of years. About 1,000 people move here a month. In that, there's just over 71,000 high school, middle school students, way more than the other elementary coming. Dozens of dozens of different nationalities and languages and cultures, all of them bringing conflicting barriers to connection that we need to be willing to work through. We need to be willing to learn and be taught and not be right, but just be connectable. The violence, the gangs, the, the shootings, the poverty, the abuse. If we're honest and we look at the audience God has placed us in, just in Surrey, just our Jerusalem, just the starting point, it can seem so overwhelming. To which I think the early church leaders would agree with. God, are you kidding me? You want us to lead the very people that murdered you? 
See, how do we reach big audience? It's by faith, being faithful with the audience of one that maybe God's given you. See, there's a girl in our youth. Um, she was trying to be faithful with the friend that God put in her life. So she just began to invite her to youth. Hey, you want to come to youth? No. Okay. Hey, what about this week? No. Hey, we're having an event this week. No. Hey, what are you doing Wednesday? Okay, busy. Hey. Oh, you got volleyball. Oh, you're not sure. Okay, you can't do this. Oh, you can't. Hey, hey, what about Easter? No, you can't come to me. Hey, we're doing this thing in summer. Oh, you can't do that. Hey, we got this camp. No, you can't do that. Hey, what about this Wednesday? No, you can't. Hey, wait. 18 times, sorry, 17 times she knocked. She asked. Was faithful. And on the 18th time, her friend said, fine, I'll come to the plus one if you stop inviting me. And on that night, what happened was that girl gave her life to Jesus. And out of that became a greater audience. This young girl who was from the Caribbeans, who even her birth was a result of, of unconsensual. And she, her mother was abused, and then came her, and then she was given up for adoption. So not only was she adopted, she felt like she wasn't wanted. Her even being was an accident or a violation. And she came to the idea that she wasn't loved, that she was an accident. But because someone was willing to go beyond themselves and be faithful with what was in front of them, asking 18 times to come to church, she then came, she got saved, she came to our summer camp, and then testified that she goes, I know that God has a plan. She goes, Somewhere back in the Bible, in the first part, it says that God has a plan for me, and I believe it now. She doesn't know the scripture. You know what she knows? Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he came for me. Family, who's, who's on the other side of your obedience? What audience is waiting to hear the good news that's on the other side of your neighbor? your sibling, your boss, your coworker, that grocery store clerk. Some of you are creatures of habit. You've never gone to a different restaurant in the last 30 years. Maybe there's a reason. Start telling people. Start being willing to use a big audience. And we're gonna take a moment. This is what we're gonna do. Because the heart of Jesus has always been a big audience and his method for reaching that audience has always been big people. 